Hey folks, it's Tomo, Sean, and Andrew from What's Going On Here. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Or wherever you stream your favorite podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's Going On Here. We are thankful that you could join us for this episode. My name is Tomo Lovric, or as I am known as T-Love in leaf collection circles. And with me, as always, I have the brilliant, the talented, the singing and dancing leaping lord, uh, if you will, also known as Sean Quigley, a.k.a. The Quig, as he is known in uh, snowthrower manufacturing circles. Uh, Sean, how are you, sir? Uh, I am very good. And I am doing very good at pretending that I know what snowthrowing manufacturing is when I attend all those meetings. Uh, they like what I do enough to give me a nickname that is funnily enough the same nickname I have in many circles, but I still don't know what it is that it is or what they do or how I'm involved in it. But whatever it is, they are very happy to have me. That is, that is magnificent. I, that was, that was one of the finest Rounds of bullshit I have ever heard in my life. I mean, that is really impressive. And I've heard some whoppers. That is that oh, yeah. brilliant. Thank you, Sean. And with us, as always, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, face man of this A-team, if you will, the one who makes our YouTube content 33% watchable, um, the young, the handsome, the always energetic and ready with a good film analysis, Mr. Andrew Albagies, also known as AA in bowling lane circles. Uh, Andrew, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Um, bowling lane circles, I mean, hey, you know what? Uh, it's tough these days because you have to separate every other lane for social distancing. And uh, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same. You know, the birthday parties aren't coming in like they used to. Right. And um, you know we can't we can't serve beer like we used to, because you. Which is you know. ironic, because I mean they call you AA and they can't serve beer. Right, right. Um, that's all I got for that one. Okay, thought it was all right. Yeah, that was good. That was <laughs> I started. Good. I honestly started to feel bad though, as I was saying it, because there are actually people that own bowling alleys that are struggling right now, and then I was like, oh, you're kind of being a dick. I, uh, see, I didn't mean I to didn't make say, fun of it. I I, I didn't bowling say bowling lane. Bowling lanes, not bowling alleys. So does that make me the guy that just like scrubs down the lane? What before you get ahead of yourself there and offend a certain group of people, <laughs> I would have you know, you may not realize this, but not only have I oiled 
many a bowling lane. I have also <laughs> assembled bowling lanes and dissembled bowling lanes uh, and done almost everything you possibly can do with bowling lanes. I am probably the most expert person in bowling lanes that you know, I imagine, because I, I spent two years as a, a beholding mechanic at Bowler City in Hackensack, New Jersey. Wow. So, wow. So yeah. on today's episode, we're going to ask Sean questions about bowling alleys. Absolutely. Which, which, just, just trying which to figure one? out what's going on here. Absolutely. Um, for all of the folks out there that have been dying to know, what is it like to work at a bowling alley? What, what is it like to, what was the word you used, Sean? Grease up? Oil. Oil up. Oil up the... Okay. Okay. We haven't even started drinking and this is already going off the rails with you guys greasing and oiling each other up. I don't, I don't need to see this. It is what the best, the best thing about it is every now and again, you get really drunk guys. And this is the sort of thing you think you only see in movies, but I have seen with my own two eyes at least twice really drunk guys in suits who are obviously there for some sort of office party after office. Uh, with a ball getting trapped halfway down the lane or almost in the end and deciding that they are going to retrieve the ball via running on the lane and running on the lane, realizing all too late that there is oil on the entire thing and going oh. arse over tit and slamming down <laughs> on this hard maple wood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and it's such a brilliant sight. <laughs> they come cracking down, and then I have to go, hey, what are you doing? Get off. And then to see them try and get back. <laughs> Gracefully, yes. <laughs> it is hilarious. That, that yeah. alone is a price of admission oh. right there, ladies and gentlemen. That alone. Yeah. Okay, so folks, uh, for those of you that do not know, it was about a week ago was Thanksgiving in the U.S. Um, and even though 2020 has been a dumpster fire, which, once again, Ryan Reynolds with his Maximum Effort Marketing Company has done just a brilliant job of making advertising for Match.com. I don't know if either of you guys saw this. Nope. Absolutely brilliant, where he has Satan and Satan matches with 2020. <laughs> and it's literally like he's got like a huge like bodybuilding dude like dressed like Satan like in legend with the giant horns and all painted red and the pointy chin and it's like a New York City local actress uh, Natalie Roy I think is her name she plays 2020 and it's like he meets her under a bridge and she's like Satan and he's like 2020 she's like please call me 2020 and it's like it shows up like a match made in hell and it's very very funny anyway so we are actually very thankful even though 2020 has been a very uh, a shitstorm of a year and we are thankful for all our fans and we are thankful for all of the drinks that we are able to sample on the show and and share at least virtually with you guys through audio and or video and so because we are so thankful today's episodes at the suggestion of Young Mr. Sean Quigley, or the Quig, as he is known in bowling repair circles, um, we decided to watch Hillbilly Elegy, which is uh, a movie done by Ron Howard, starring Glenn Close and <laughs> Amy Adams. 
It is um, literally done. It is done by him. <laughs> that is the best accidental description. <laughs> Instead of directed by or like a, a Quentin Tarantino production or whatever the fuck he says, it is like a, a film done by Ron Howard. <laughs> right. That's what it should say. In crayon. Oh, don't, 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 <laughs> dude, don't show your cards yet. Let people like, get into the episode before we start giving our opinions. <laughs> <laughs> this is based on a memoir by um, J.D. Vance, who wrote this Hillbilly Elegy back in 2016. Um, and it's basically a story of growing up in, in small town, Middletown, Ohio, uh, and basically being from Kentucky, the family, uh, and their hillbillies. And basically, it's from J.D. Vance's point of view, where he tries to basically escape the cycle of poverty and all this other stuff that happens along the way. So that's what we're going to review today. And as you can tell, Sean is already a huge fan. And I'm <laughs> glad he is because he was the one that suggested it. And the other two of us had to sit through this shitstorm of a movie. <laughs> complete 2020 just wonderfully. So I'm glad he liked it. Anyway, <laughs> but the real star of the show is our drinks that we review. And so to try and go along with the hillbilly uh, 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 theme, if you will, what we decided was we were each gonna try a, a different kind of drink from the area. Uh, I have a beer, Sean has a liqueur because he's getting fancy and very British on us today. And Andrew made a cocktail. So uh, without further, further ado, I'm gonna introduce my drink and then we'll go around circle and everybody's gonna talk about what they have. And so, um, I found, and this is very appropriate, uh, Brewdog, which is a brewery out of Scotland. Is this showing the right way around to you guys? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, because sure. it's reversed for me. Okay. Brewdog Lost Lager, which is a dry hopped Pilsner. And for those of you that don't know beers, before you go like, wait a minute, it's a Pilsner, not a lager. A Pilsner is a lager. It's just a light lager, like a pale lager. That's okay. So anyway. This is a brewery that started in Scotland and they opened up a brewery in uh, Ohio, uh, Columbus to be exact, I believe. Uh, yeah, yes, Columbus, Ohio. And so he even says another thing. It says, born in Scotland, brewed in the USA, which is very appropriate because for those people who know their history, hillbillies are basically uh, descendants of the Irish and Scottish people that moved to the hills of Kentucky and kind of stayed in the Appalachians. So that's what I'm having. It's a 4.7% ABV Pilsner with a IBU of 37. That's my drink for the hillbilly party. Sean, what's your drink for the hillbilly party? Uh, my drink is a Jim Beam Red Stag, Ooh. which is a black cherry liqueur infused with Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey from Frankfort. Kentucky, James B. Beam Distilling Company. Uh, as we know from the past episodes, I uh, do not get on very well with bourbon, but <laughs> I do like the uh, sweet embrace of a cherry treat. Okay. Uh, so um, Sean is getting and put on his sexy voice while he's doing. <laughs> it. You, I thought you? he was gonna, I thought you were going to say the sweet embrace of a red stag. Oh, <laughs> I. <laughs> I, sir, am a doughman. Oh. I, I, I would not say no to a nice young doe. 
Okay. You, you <laughs> mean the female deer, right? Not like a, a thing for bread, right? That's what you're oh, yeah. About. No, the, the female deer. I mean, have you yeah. ever seen have you ever seen the hind legs on a good doe? It's a shapely very uh, very sensual animal. Yes, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, very good. So Sean has the Jim Beam Red Stag. And Andrew, please enlighten us. What is your cocktail? I have made myself a Kentucky Mule, which Ooh. most people I'm sure know what that is. If you don't, I'm sure you know what a Moscow Mule is. Um, it is essentially the same thing, only as, as opposed to the Moscow Mule, take out the vodka and substitute in a Kentucky bourbon, hence the okay. Kentucky Mule. So I've made this with a Wild Turkey 101, lime juice, uh, ginger beer, as the recipe would call for, or what I used was a, a ginger kombucha. Um, that's, that's, that's a nice, I, I actually like, that's a nice twist there. Instead of ginger beer, ginger kombucha, because it is technically brewed. Mm -hmm. I mean, hey, I don't know that folks, hillbilly folks are drinking kombucha, but it's what I had and it's what I've used for it. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll see. This isn't, this will be a, a test of my cocktail making skills more than a real testament of a good Kentucky mule, but here we go. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, there we go, folks. Let's, uh, let's, let's get our drinks ready. Let's give the folks what they want to hear and see. Okay. I'm popping my can. Get a little sound effect since uh, uh, the drinks are not going to have it. Oh, Sean is like icing his liqueur. Ooh. Oh, look at him go. Oh, that, that looked like a positive response. It smells nice. It smells very cherry-y. Uh, Ooh, I, 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 I don't know how you, you are with like desserts or something. Uh, Andrew, I know Sean likes desserts and um, I'm okay on desserts, but my wife makes a delicious pecan pie. So she found actually a recipe for a butter bourbon pecan pie. Ooh. So there was a lot of Elijah Craig in the pecan pie. And it was quite tasty. I mean, it couldn't have been that much. There wasn't much left, was it? <laughs> <laughs> wow! All right, Will played, sir. I have to give you cheers. I'm gonna have on to that note for that. On that note, cheers, everyone. Clink. Cheers. All right. Not bad. Huh. Okay, um, Andrew, why don't you start us off? What do you think? What are you thinking of your drink? It's pretty good. It's it could be better, and, and I don't know what's missing or what might make it better. Mm -hmm. But it's not bad. Probably the ginger beer would make it better instead of the kombucha, maybe. I don't know, because the kombucha is nice. It's real gingery and kind of bitter. Oh, is it um, spicy? Yeah, and it's got like that, you know, real ginger and spice to it. Um, so okay. that's pretty nice. I did, um, I added a little, I added a couple dashes of bitters too. I don't think I said that. Um, okay. So I'm wondering if maybe it doesn't need that. Ah, okay. I'm not sure. Okay. But it's good. Okay. Sean, what are your initial impressions? Um, it is, uh, it is not unpleasant. Okay. It is but it, it 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 feels like it's a weird thing to be drinking on its own like it 
it's odd. It feels like it, it, it feels like it's made to be drunk with Coke or something. Like mm-hmm. it's supposed to cocktail. be cocktail. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it's made to be part of a cocktail. Um, just because, you know, I can taste the there's the I can taste the bourbon, um, uh, and then I, and then I can taste the cherry, but it's weird straight it tastes weird kind of straight uh, i mean it's easier for me to drink than bourbon because i don't like the taste of bourbon so it takes the edge off the bourbon but it i don't know there's something about it that tastes like that as i'm t- drinking it it is saying to me like dude what the fuck are you doing drinking this <laughs> like on on the rocks like what the fuck has gone wrong in your life what, what kind of pretense are you trying to pull here guy yeah it's, it's like what the fuck are you doing you might as well just be drinking creme de month like what the fuck like or like perno <laughs> with water yeah oh which i have had uh i uh, we went we um i went to a frenchman's house once and the frenchman made me perno with water and I drank it um, to be polite to the Frenchman. No ice, warm, um, like warm tap water with Perno. Um, just, uh, just let me just cut you off for a second. Folks, if you don't know the show, we occasionally get playfully racist. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> oh, they're not a race. Uh, <laughs> they're not a race. Xenophobic at best. Uh, <laughs> okay. They... Um, yeah, it, it, so and that, that that's a straight. If you, I don't know if anyone's ever tasted Perno before, or has not tasted Perno, but it is, it is a curiously odd drink, especially mm. to have with water as a drink. It, it mm. kind of makes you. I've I've never had it. Is it is it supposed to be a bitter drink? Or is it supposed to be a sweet drink? It's aniseed. It's aniseed. Uh. Um, but it's like pure aniseed. Like that's. It's just like. It's like having like an old, we used to have in England, these little candy balls, aniseed balls that were like boiled sweets that were aniseed that was very, you know, strong. Um, but it, it's just strange. It's like, why, why, why would you have this? Same as Creme de Monte. It's like, why, why would this be your drink? Right. It's right. very odd. It's, it's all, yeah. It's, it's peculiar. Peculiar. It is a peculiar, it's like someone who's gone, I don't like things that are sweet. And then I also do not like things that are the opposite of sweet. And I also don't particularly like liquids that much, but I have to have something in order to remove myself from the sad reality of my life. So this, <laughs> this disgusting thing will have to do. And, and they're both, well, Krenomoth is a terrible green color, but Perno looks like, um, kind of looks like uh uh, semen water as well yes doesn't, yes yes i know that yeah doesn't help no. uh it's a fucking so, gray milky fucking ugh. Oh. Yeah. So, so i suggest for this episode what you do is you go find a mountain dew and pour that on some mountain dew so it gets like really that hillbilly flavor going off oh, mountain dew okay. <laughs> anyway all right so my beer and i'll say it's odd. It's when it says dry hop pilsner, this is actually a very dry beer. Hmm. Like you know how like when you have champagne and this is a dry champagne and it's just kind of like just bubbly and just a little bit of a sweet. That's how this is. 
Um, it's obviously a lager, you know, or a pilsner, I should say. It's, I mean, they have a whole thing written here, right? It says, Lost Lager takes back the ground lost over decades by lager monoliths. Lost Lager is a dry hop pilsner made with classic German Saphir hops, giving vibrant citrus and stone fruit notes. Built from Bavarian yeast, it has a crisp, clean taste. This is a lot, this is lager like it was, like it should be, like it will be. Lost Lager, lager is back. Um, it's okay, it's easy to drink. Um, it is very dry. There's not a whole hell of a lot of flavor in it. I, you know, let me try. I mean, I can taste the hops. And when it said citrusy, again, because I read the thing before I tried it, and considering how we've had, like, um, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, 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 Bengali IPA, mm-hmm. and, then, and then Stone Cold's IPA, which is almost like drinking some kind of fruit juice, like how citrusy the hops are or whatever. This isn't very much, this is almost like, this is almost like if somebody makes a, a, a pastry or a cake and puts like orange zest in it, but not a whole hell of a lot. And you can sort of detect it at the edge of your, at the edge of your palate. That's where you get the citrus here. I mean, otherwise it's, it's, it's got a good level of carbonation. This is, this is one of those uh, that we talk about. If somebody wants to go into quote-unquote craft beer, you can lull them with a full sense uh-huh. of maturity. Like if you go from your Miller Lite to this and be like, oh, no, this is a craft beer and start like slowly. This is like the softest reel-in that you could get. This is what I would say. It's your gateway drug. That's like the, that's like the only mainstream craft brewery in the UK, Brewdog. Like that, I think that's many people's first craft beer outside of what we call real ale, which is a different beast, um, which there's a big, the reason we don't have craft beer as much in the UK, like we do over here, like with, is because of the real ale community, which is all these fuzzy old men in cardigans and beards um, who are in, it's called like camera, it's the society of the real ale or something. And they have these festivals and it, it sounds exciting. And all the ales have the most wonderful names, like you know, bishop's penis, and like, uh, and uh, <laughs> well, wow, I know. can't wait to get my mouth around some <laughs> bishop penis. Yeah, yeah, and like, you know, sheep anus. It's like they're, they're great. <laughs> they have these great names, um, but it all tastes exactly the same, which is just like, <laughs> just. <laughs> Not no, like the opposite of it. It's like warm, like piss. Yeah, like, I was gonna say, but like warm, kind of like mud, <laughs> just like watery mud. It's it's a very strange. <laughs> I'm not an ale fan, and many a time I've pretended to like it, but it's it it comes out of the barrel like you have. It's the old fashioned pump. It was the old fashioned uh, pumps, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, with the big brand on it, and there's no carbonation whatsoever. The stuff uh, comes straight out of the barrel, and oh. it just like is it pops. like a like a cask ale? Yeah, 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 yeah. and it's there's sediment, so there's yeah, like yeah, yeah. bits in it, and it's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, it is. Uh, oh, it's not. Some people love it, but I just can't get behind it. But that, but but yeah. Anyway, Brewdog <laughs> is like the one 
beer that you can get kind of in London that is a crop. And probably now you can, but when I was there, Brewdog was right. the, huh. well, the one. Well, I mean, it's, like I said, it's an easy enough beer. Um, I'll, I'll enjoy it. And, of course, the, the big plus always is the 16-ounce can, yes? So you get a proper pint. Mm-hmm. So. We should try uh, one episode. We should do like an origins thing where we each have to try like a the beer that most screams wherever we're from. Like we can all try a, a, an ex- extremely British ale like the Bishop's Penis, and then uh, and then Utica Club. There you What's go. Utica Club. Utica Club is a pilsner from Utica. Okay. All right. I think you'll or any, or any Saranac beer. I mean, I have a tough time with that. So do I pick with something Croatian because that's my ethnicity, right? My nationality. Do I go with where I was born? And I've looked and I'm probably not going to be able to have it until I actually go visit. I was born in Seligenstadt, Germany. And I would kill to get some beer from there to try, but I can't. Or do I just go with like a brewery out of Queens? Uh. I, you want to try and get some really good German beer, I think, just for the sake of us. I'd, I'd love a Being nice... Born in Germany, just for the sake of us. <laughs> One of those, like, you know, those, like, monastery beers where these German monks <gasps> just get... So pissed. good. Well, oh, Weichstapana, yeah. the oldest brewery in the world, that's a thousand years old. That's the move. <laughs> that's the move. Mm-hmm. That's the move. All right. So let's get we should to- do that. We should definitely try that one of these days. Yeah. Uh, like you said, the beer thing, Sean. Uh, you, well, you know what? Maybe that's for the new year. New year, new start. Oh, and that's what I wanted to mention cool. what we're thankful for. We are actually on pace to have our best year ever as a podcast. Woo! And I, I have to say it's probably no small due part due to Andrew being so devastatingly handsome. Can I just say that? I doubt it. You're right. It's me. It's me. <laughs> All right, it's me. I'm sorry. Anyway, all right. Let's go. Hillbilly <laughs> Elegy. It's, it's one, isn't it like a wonderful Venn diagram that we've had the best years possible and then also the suicide rates are just going through the roof? <laughs> yes, yes. It's perfect. Do you think there's a correlation? <laughs> it's, That's not it, funny. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like a... <laughs> I'm worried about offending people that work at bowling alleys and I'm making jokes about suicides. Okay. So hillbilly allergy. <laughs> uh, why don't you just suck on your Kentucky mule there, guy? Don't even work <laughs> Yes. Okay. So hillbilly allergy, a movie done by Ron Howard. <laughs> now this movie, it, I'll say this much. I kind of wish I read the book because when I was reading it, the biggest complaint about the movie was the fact that the author, J.D. Vance, who we're watching the movie through his eyes and it goes back between from him being a kid to him being a young man at Yale Law School. Um, and I, I, the big complaint was that his conservative views weren't represented in the movie. And, you know, uh, Glenn Close and Amy Adams. I don't actually, I don't know if Glenn Close said much. She might have. But Amy Adams and Ron Howard were both like, look, the, the book had plenty of human interest story because it is an interesting story. 
without needing to have have to add po political views into it. And it said like they had actually his blessing for a lot of what was going on because like Glenn Close really wanted to um, get as close as she could to, 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 to portray his grandmother. Um, and and the, the author basically kind of gave it, he was like, yeah, no, I, I liked what they did with the movie. Uh, but what I also read about the author, like, because, you know, they were like conservative uh, 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 compared to liberal. And one of his big points was, which also didn't come across in the movie, because they pretty much, Ron Howard pretty much left out anything political out of the movie. His point was that the poor people of the Appalachians, your Kentucky or Ohio, your depressed parts of America, you know, the Republican Party didn't do anything for them. Like, these are people that are forgotten. And quite frankly, that doesn't just fall on the Republican Party, that falls on the Democratic Party as well. Poverty is just like, who cares? And ironically, Hollywood, for that matter, doesn't like to address poverty either. Mm -hmm. It only likes to address poverty if there's like drugs or violence involved. It doesn't like to address po poverty as like an issue and what's going on there. So that being said, the movie starts with, um, the movie basically goes from his childhood and then it flashes back and forth with him in, in, in law school, talks about his mother, talks about his father. Long story short, I thought the movie was terribly boring until like literally the last half hour. And I, we were texting over the last couple of days about it. And I had a half hour left. And like when he, when the kid goes to steal the calculator. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was literally to me, the only interesting part of the movie, the rest of the movies, like I, I couldn't be bothered with. It was, I mean, the portrayals weren't good enough. I thought the kid who, who played JD Vance, the young kid, I thought he's, his was a good portrayal. I thought the guy who played the, the, the grown up was a good portrayal. I did like him. Yeah. Um, I thought Glenn Close was fantastic because she was unrecognizable as Glenn Close. But I was just like, when they were talking about Oscar, I was like, she was in the fucking movie for like 12 minutes. Why are they giving her an Oscar? It's, it, it gets to the point, she's, she's an actor. It's not about like, the, the, the fucking Oscars have skewed this whole shit and to be like, <laughs> to be a best actor is to be transformative and to be the most unlike yourself. We are two or three years away for Sean Penn getting an Oscar for playing a side table. <laughs> yeah, true. Like, because he's right. it's just, it's just like in the corner, like. <laughs> for two hours. <laughs> he is unrecognizable. I did not realize that side table was Sean Penn until I put my drink on it. And he, <laughs> and then he, he winced and grabbed it and threw it at me. Like I, <laughs> and punch me in the dick. <laughs> it's, it gets to the point, and I'm watching Glenn Close in this, and I, Glenn Close is one of the most underappreciated actors of yes. her generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. She is the female John Malkovich. She should be held up, you know, yes. more than she is. And she's incredible. And if you listen to her talk, she's very interesting. She's very intelligent. She's funny. She's great. And yes. She's one of the few people, I say few, but she's one of those people, I heard her speak recently and I remember thinking, another person actually is Kathleen Turner, that I remember thinking, you know what, I wish she was 20 years younger than she is because I want her to have another 20 years of her career yeah. in the world we live in now. 
because she, yeah. I, she spent so much, the golden age of their careers were at a time when Hollywood did not give a shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but the 90s and the early 2000s, it was like, yeah, fuck it. Like, you know, and she's so good. But it's the point she's she's playing this character. And like you said, she does a great job. But it's like she might as well have decided to portray the woman who waits at the bus stop every morning by like her local school. Yep. And everyone would go, that is exactly that woman. They'd yes. be like, it's impressive, but no one fucking gives a shit. It's it's, it's <laughs> true. The movie the movie is the movie is so banal, and I don't know if I'm using the word correctly. It is just so. Tr- There's nothing of interest, you know. Mm-hmm. The whole story, like his mother's a junkie. Um, they, you know, the grandfather was an abuser, so the mother becomes an abuser, and the cycle of violence and poverty is like, yeah, yeah it's it's very. It's very familiar, but the story itself, the, the way the screenplay was written, was just so just uninteresting. Yeah, completely. I I will say I'm probably based on the little bit we've talked about it before recording. I'm probably a little more favorable to it than you guys are, I, and I would just say because I went into it kind of expecting to for it to be like so bad that it was funny. Um, and it, it, I really did. And it, it had a couple moments that, that towed the line of that, but all in all, I think it was, it was better than I expected. I'm not saying by any means it was like an amazing movie, but I think it had some, some really good things. And what, what I really think like my biggest overall takeaway is, is number one, Glenn Close. I actually, I really did like her performance in this and I kind of liked the like tough love grandma character and everything. Absolutely, you know, I thought yeah. she did a nice, but I agree with you, Sean, that it gets to a point where it's like, just cause she's, it's the same thing as when, um, what's his name? Eddie Redmayne won the Oscar for um, playing. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, thank you. When everybody, I think, and at least anyone I talked to, you guys probably agree, thought that um, Michael Keaton should have won that year. Because Michael Keaton was amazing in Birdman, but it was like, but he wasn't, he wasn't doing a whole thing and he didn't turn, he didn't, you know, go into a wheelchair and have a physical transformation. And that's what they look for. And it's like, just cause he did that, just cause he like mimicked the physical actions doesn't mean his acting yeah. performance it's, was, doesn't mean his it, acting it, performance was better. Right. It, 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 it's right. And I mean, what Sean was saying, this has been the focus of, of these Hollywood studios. Yeah. They poked fun of it plenty in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Oh, right? big time. <laughs> because like in in the 90s in the early 90s and the late 80s it was all about playing the mentally disabled guy yeah you know? and i remember i don't know if either of you guys saw the hand that rocks the cradle Mm-mm. it was with um oh why can't i think of it she played she played the mother in in jessica jones why can't i think of her name and of course risky business famously she played the prostitute oh i know you're talking about and she was in ozark too yeah. she was okay i well, can't think of her name though and then what's his, what's his name? I can't think of the actor's name, and I should. Played like a, 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 a mentally disabled guy that helped around the house from Ghostbusters. Um, uh, 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 I'm, I'm so embarrassed that I can't think of his name. Anyway, so it started with that, and then Rain Man came along, and the whole thing, and in Tropic Thunder, they talk about, like, like Sean Penn, they're basically basically busting on Sean Penn. Why didn't Sean Penn win the Oscar for Sam I Am? It's like, <laughs> and Downey Jr.'s characters is like, 
you never go full retard. If you go full retard, <laughs> you're never going to like win yep, the yep. And it, it's kind of like, it's like at this point, it's, okay, great. You're a great impressionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause that's what it comes down to. Because if you come up, you know, if, if just some regular actor comes and does an impression, somebody will say like, Oh, he's really talented in impressions, but he's not a very good actor. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, oh, uh, perfect. Uh, what's his name? Um, doing Freddie Mercury. Amazing. Right. Right. Mimicking Freddie Mercury, but it's just like, okay. And, and he won an Oscar for it. It's like, they love that. It's like, yeah, for some reason, it's like if somebody catches that, it's just like, okay. And like you said, Andrew, I I didn't think the movie was terrible. Yeah. Because there was enough good stuff in there. So I would I would say kind of where I was going with that was, was um, I feel like the story is actually probably pretty good. And I don't know anything about the book. I've not read the book. But I get the feeling like if you read the story in that book, it's actually probably really interesting. Um, Because it could be a really good story. I think the problem with this movie was, number one, the script. And I don't know know how the narrative structure works in the book, but if it jumps around between flashback and present, the book's present day or not. I think in a novel that can work really easily. It's different when it translates to screen. And I think you have to be careful with how you use flashbacks, right? And it just gets to a point where like, you just get used to it going back and forth. So it's not really effective one way or another. Right. Um, and I also think it, the movie deals with like some heavy subject material, but it never really leans into those. No, it glosses you, over so much of it. You really. Yeah. Oh, that's it. yeah, exactly. It's, it kind of glosses over it. Uh, sorry. I, I think I heard you guys. It, it kind of glosses over everything. Right. Whereas they're like these kind of big, big subjects and, and sort of, uh, deep material that it's dealing with, but it doesn't really go into them or break them down. And I think it's really interesting material to get into and to break down, right. but they never do. And so my, my biggest takeaway is I think that the script maybe could have been written better because I think it's a good story. I just don't think it was adapted quite right. But exactly. bigger than that, and no disrespect to Ron Howard because he's made some really great movies, but Ron Howard is the type of director that just kind of produces a polished product and it's here's your clean perfect, everything falls into place movie, which for some movies works great. I think for this movie, if, if there was a, a, I don't know what the right word is, an edgier or just like a, I can't think of a better word for that, but an edgier director who mm-hmm. to have taken on this subject matter and really kind of leaned into some of those more uncomfortable subjects. Yes. I think it would have been better and maybe not been so glossed over. Well, well I mean, there's, there are several like, and again, like, like like you, Andrew, I haven't read the book, but there were several spots where I was like, uh-oh, is this where we're going with that? Where at one point the sister, uh, Lindsay, grandpa's around, and she, like, is very standoffish with grandpa. Mm. And, you know, where the way it was played, and I wish I could remember which, which scene it was, but the way it was played, I thought, like, uh-oh, grandpa abused Lindsay. Like this family's like coming from a dysfunctional family, there was a lot of triggering scenes in here. And the, the most powerful scene to me was actually where she, uh, Amy Adams character starts accelerating. And then the kid jumps in the backseat and she pulls over and starts beating the shit out of him. He runs out, he runs in the house and there's that whole scene. And the lady that lets him in the house calls the cops and all that happens. And then the grandparents show up. 
and the cop tells and they they cuff the mother Amy Adams and they put her in the car and the kid is like no don't take no no leave her alone she's no leave her alone and the cop says hey and he's like no leave her alone he says listen to me this might be normal in your family but that doesn't make it right mm-hmm. and like to me that was like this is the, everything was boring and that was like the most powerful moment to me because it was just like yes because families just get caught in this fucking cycle that you can't right. break out of and it's like just just cuz you think it's normal it's fucking not dude it's like right. totally not so i thought that was such a powerful moment and they never really explored it further they just like you said little flashbacks here and there and you're just like what does all this mean i don't i, I don't i was like i don't understand I, that that scene confused me just because it was powerful like you said on the on it, there was power in it but what really confused me is i was like not to you know be uh, generalizing but like we're in hillbilly country this is a period moment i like i joked with you earlier on i didn't realize the actual time frame that it was set in which is like the 90s i i assumed it was the 80s just because of the the general subject you know the thing that's what i felt but i was like oh it's nice that like i'm sorry in the 90s in kentucky like uh a mother would like smack around her kid and she didn't even smack him around like she was doing some crazy stuff but she wasn't physically smacking him but the idea that like i feel like if a mum smacked a kid in kentucky in the 90s and the police got involved the police would be like listen to your fucking mother like like what 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 is this weird world when like i was confused by that i'm like why do we have the most conscientious policeman of all time in 90s Kentucky when we're in a current world where everyone's talking about how the police are just shooting black people like for doing nothing? Well, uh, well, that's, well, I mean, again, it's, this is generalizations. And I mean, I was surprised that I'm like, Wait, I, I but are they in Kentucky or are they in Ohio? Oh, Ohio. They're in Ohio. Because I wasn't, Ohio. I got confused. Did they ever They're... go back to Kentucky other than that kind of first the scene intro? The no, 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 no. The rest of it is happening in Ohio. Okay, okay. I wasn't sure if they ever, if I thought it was Ohio, but it's I Ohio. Sure. I, I, what I was, I think what I was thinking is like, I pulled, I mean, I did not have that experience as a kid, but right. there are a couple of times where I was a little prick. And I was upset with my parents and I pretended like they were, you know, terrorizing me to strangers uh, in the 90s. And people would, and it would just be like, one time I wanted a toy in a store and my dad wouldn't get it for me. So I screamed and cried and ran away and then went to like the security man at the store. And then when my dad came over to get me, I said, he's not my dad. <laughs> I was like, he's not my father. I don't know who he is. <laughs> And I was like, please get him away. <laughs> and my dad was like, get the fuck over here right now. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 please help me. And the security man looks at me, he's just like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, like, fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> I don't need this shit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I just feel like it was a little. Um... It, it, like, like, like Andrew was saying, the, the screenplay. On the surface, just as a fan of movies and what, it was so just. It seemed lacking, like like you're saying. Yeah, it, it, they didn't lean into it. There was that whole scene where the mother tries to like kill herself or something because like right. her wrist is like cut, but then like 
This is after that after her father, like Amy Adams' like grandpa died. Amy Adams' right. died. That goes nowhere. It that goes scene goes nowhere. nowhere. I think, yeah, and, and to your point about, you know, those scenes and like the, the, the scene with the where they're gonna arrest the mom and he says no, and, and then the cop says this may be normal in your family, blah, blah, blah. That is potentially like a profound moment or a theme of that movie. And like you sure. said, they never revisit it. And when never. you go to, you get to later when he's grown up, when he's an adult, the, the present day parts of the movie, you sort of expect there to be something that comes from it. And nothing really does. I mean, what really happens? He comes home, his mom's still doing oh, drugs. Dude, he tries yeah. to help her. He doesn't really succeed in helping her and he right. leaves. And then after he leaves, you get this horribly cheesy, this is I thought was the worst part of the movie, where he's just driving and he's like, actually, Talking he's on the phone with his girlfriend and he's like, you know what? I got to thinking. And he just like recaps the whole movie and it's like, it made me who I am to grow up this way. I, and oh. like, he just has this fucking profound moment. And it's like, but nothing happened. You went yeah. home to try and help your mother I and didn't. You, you didn't. And then you left. The, the, the only are you, time are you like leaving your past behind? Yeah. But, or like, cause if that was it, if he was like, no, fuck it, I'm gone. And he left. And that was kind of how the movie ended of him being like, I can't help you. I'm leaving. The that, only time. But then the you get this recap. Right. The only time I, I felt they, they touched on the whole breaking the cycle that I felt was when he came with his mother to the apartment of her boyfriend. He was throwing shit out and he called her a whore. And he, he said, don't call my mother a whore. I'm going to kick your fucking ass. And then he runs up into the building and he tries to bust through the door. And the yeah. guy grabs a knife on the other door and he's holding the door in. And then a woman starts screaming, what are you doing? I have my kids here. Get out. And he stops and he collects himself. And that was like, you're like, yeah, you got to break the cycle. Like, but again, it was just that, and it was over. Nothing got looked at. Nothing. There was no in. There was no in-depth exploration of anything. And I mean, all due respect to Amy Adams, to me, it looked like she sleepwalked through that movie. I thought too. I love Amy Adams. I really do. And I think, I think the scenes with her and with the adult version of JD were were not bad. I think the versions with her and the kid were just cringeworthy, at least for me. I, like I said, I, I, thought, I thought that role, the way it was directed, the way it was written was just beneath her. It's, it was so basic. Like they, it was like every single thing they had to do a that and a this. They couldn't let you have just one thing. They couldn't right. just let you have, this is a scene where we're just having a nice time and it's great. Or this is a scene where it's just terrible. It's like every single scene, whether it's a flashback or a present, is a, oh, it's a bit nice, but then it's a bit bad. Like, he kept doing it. Like, I kept wanting a better version, a better director would have had the courage to have had mm -hmm. scenes with the mother and the child where it was just joy and she was a wonderful mother and yes. they had really great times. And there was extended scenes of greatness so yes. that it makes it all the more harrowing yeah. where yes. you then cut to a really yes. horrific thing. Yes. But every single set piece was like, oh, it's a bit nice, but oh, it's a bit not. Oh, right. it's yeah. nice, oh, it's yeah. a bit yeah. not. Yeah. You, like, you, I, 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 think, I think that was them trying to cut a four-hour movie into a two-hour movie. Yeah, and Sean, you raise a really. Like, sorry, I was just say, Sean, you raise a really good point when you say set pieces because by you saying that, it, something clicked in my head. The whole movie is just 
here's a set piece in the past and it's and here's a set piece now in present day and here's and really it is like it wasn't there was no scenes that really differentiated or varied as far as like there was no scene where it just cut to just the bad it was like every scene in the movie was like had its own little arc and it all pretty much went exactly the same way it was just a just a series of those as opposed to like maybe that's again going back to the the screenplay like the way it was written it could have it could have just been written differently i think i think the structure i think it was hurt by that structure of like present day flashback present day flashback i ron howard i was looking up on imdb ron howard basically hasn't directed an original screenplay since the 90s Mm. with the with the exception of uh what's the one solo um no well no but what the exception of the dilemma (laughs) <laughs> the Vince Vaughn uh, comedy that I don't remember watching. Uh, and this is just based on me. When I say original screenplay, what I mean is it's not based on something that's already a thing. Okay. Uh, gotcha. Like okay, okay. he, he isn't getting, you know, Hillbilly Elegy based on a book, a bunch okay. of documentaries about the Beatles, Pavarotti solo. He jumped on board halfway through the film already being made. Uh, all the Dan Brown movies, uh, in the Heart of the Sea about Moby Dick, uh, Rush, which was a movie about a real life Formula One thing, uh, Frost Nixon, that was a play, Cinderella Man, that was a, a real guy as well, Beautiful Mind, that's another memoir film, How yeah. the Grinch Stole Christmas, you're just doing the Grinch, like it literally, even Apollo 13, like that, that was a book first and a real thing, like he just, it's like the guy they get to adapt real stories. And I don't know why, like, so many, he's not had a good film in a long time. Like, he's been sleepwalking. You say Amy Adams. I feel like Ron Howard has been sleepwalking yeah. It's yeah. 20 it, years. It, it, it's funny. It's interesting. Uh, my wife and I, Annie and I, watched um, all these various websites because they're creating content and everything. Uh, it was one of these, tw- uh, it was actually Funny or Die, I believe. Mm-hmm. They, like, interviewed Ron Howard. Uh, like they went through with him through his IMDb page and showed all these things and it showed basically like his first credit on screen and it was actually to me it was very entertaining because he was like talking about he was on Lassie as a little kid and he was supposed to give a line and he gave the line and he thought he did terribly and he was like no mister let me do it again and they're like nah cut it's fine whatever so he said "All right," you know he was supposed to be emotional and he just kind of flubbed the line so he said he was gonna, he was gonna like uh, 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 grind his like hand while he's holding Lassie's uh, uh, collar to show his angst. And he said, he said he started doing that, and it was a close-up for Lassie. And he said all of a sudden he heard like God. The director said, and the director walked right up and said, "Kid, if you ever try to fucking steal Lassie's close-up, I'll." fucking in you and he was just like five or six or something like that so he was like just going through all these anecdotes which were hilarious and he got to willow they got to willow which was a great movie in my opinion a movie that should get like oh they're remaking all these fucking movies Please remake Willow because the special effects in Willow were garbage but the movie was really I think they're doing a They are remaking Willow they are or a, a spin-off prequel reboot sequel something okay i anyway <laughs> about the fact that 
uh, uh, it was the biggest gathering of little people ever for the scene in, and I forget the name of the town that was in Willow. <laughs> he said, because, and normally you don't have this many people that can all relate to each other on such a level. You don't have a huge gathering like this ever before. And he said he was going by a car. And he said a car was rocking. And he was like, oh, they're getting it on. Well, he's like, well, good for them. Why not? And he said, but then the door opened. And it's like 10 people walked out of this car. It was like a full-on orgy in you know, like a fucking Honda Accord or some shit like that. And he was like, more will get them coming up. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> he was like, well, yeah, I guess they're little people. They can fit. He said, a full-blown orgy in the car. It had me dying, dude. I was laughing hysterically. Anyway, that's that's a fun group. That, there was a documentary. It was actually really good. That you get a lot of these documentaries in the UK from Channel Four, which are really good. And there was one a few years ago um, that was about. We have in in England we have pantomimes. I don't know how much people are familiar with the concept of a pantomime, but it's a seasonal theatrical production around Christmas time. That is not usually about Christmas. It's one of the uh, Disney style. Uh, Grimm's fairy tale nursery like things it's like Beauty and the Beast, Snow White, Cinderella, Aladdin like a lot of those traditional stories and they're put on it's theatrical it's for the whole family it's very kid friendly you always have a man dressed up in drag playing this like maternal character that's like this big ridiculous over the top like drag character and then you'll have all these bumbling it's very um benny hill style comedy lots of bumps and it's a lot of fun and there's audience participation people shout out and it's a very old school vaudeville kind of thing but it's huge in the uk it's the biggest money maker in theater and right now it's dying a death because there are whole people that literally there are i know plenty of people that actually fund their whole year based on pantomime season because they will Mm -hmm they do a lot of shows. They, they will work like two or three shows a day for like through late November to early January. And, wow. and they get paid very well because people who don't go to the theater will come out in droves for pantomime and they'll come right. more than once because right. there's like an element to it. Um, but they, um, in pantomime, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is one of the most popular shows. And this documentary followed this group of dwarfs who every year again they their whole their money their actors but all their money comes from snow white and the seven dwarfs and they do it their whole lives and it's all these various guys and they pop up in all these different productions around the country but they all know each other because they've all been in various ones and there's like like you know teenage dwarfs and then like dwarfs in their 60s right. and like all their personal dramas and angsts and they'll be like oh fuck like jerry's playing dopey in the warwickshire snow white what a fucking prick <laughs> it is the best documentary of all these dwarfs just being like oh every fucking year i'm forced to be with these fucking 12 dwarfs <laughs> and it's it's it oh it's so funny but it's, nice. it's like the Willow story, but like um, even more. I've never seen Willow, funnily enough. Really? No, I mean, Willow's, Willow is, was a really, really fun story. And like I said, the only thing that really lacked, and it was surprising, was the special effects because it was done by... Um, Lucasfilm, right? Yeah, ILM. Yeah. ILM did it, and it was like really cheesy graphics. 
Like this, like was it rushed? I don't understand what was going on. It was, it, but it was an excellent movie, and it was one of those movies like Big Trouble in Little China, um, where you see, you can tell the chemistry on set is great, and you can mm -hmm. tell that everyone's having fun. And Willow was that. It was Val Kilmer. It was Joanna Whaley, who uh, I think married Val after that. It was uh, what's his name from, who was a uh, 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 widget uh, in Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. um, Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis, yeah. And it, it was just a lot. The movie was a lot of fun. It, it was really well done. Nice script. Fun script. You know, it was like a, it was like a Dungeons and Dragons sword and sorcery kind of movie that like out of nowhere. Like I'd never heard anything about it, or but it was a lot of fun, a lot of imagination. I remember that I never watched it specifically because, and this is a weird thing that people of a younger generation than me would never have, but I imagine that both you guys would probably understand this. And I missed this so fucking much is that I, I remember I never watched Willow because it used to sit next to Star Wars, the battle for Endor at the video store, the video <laughs> rental store. It was right next to it because someone was like, this thing, whoever likes this is going to like the stupid Ewok spin-off TV movie they made. And, yes. and I loved the Star Wars Battle for Endor TV movie <laughs> VHS so much that I would get it out all the time. And like Netflix, like I would go to the video store. It's my favorite place in the world, independent video store. And I would just scout. I'd just look at the, the, just the covers of the videos. And I'd be like, that's the one I want. And I'd, always, I'd have my favorites. And one of them was the Battle for Endor. And I remember looking at Willow because it was right next to it and being like, Nah, no. battle, battle for Endor. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good movie. If you get a chance, watch it. It was actually, it was, it was a fun script and it was a fun movie. Uh, uh, Val Kilmer was really, really good at it. Really good at it. Wow. But, you know, I mean, like I said, back to Hillbilly Elegy. I, I, it wasn't interesting until the last half hour when he goes to steal the calculator. Hmm. And that's when, like, Glenn Close gets most of her screen time. And I was like, okay, you're expecting to give her an Oscar for this, which, if the movie was centered mostly on her, especially because afterwards they show actually home videos of his. And they show yeah. her grandmother. She was so good at mimicking just, like, the walk, the way she held a cigarette, like, all of it. And it was just yeah. like, yeah, this is great, especially if we're trying to infiltrate a foreign government. But, I mean... But who the fuck cares? Right, right. But like, that's the point. It's like the acting equivalent of if a tree falls in a forest, does anyone hear it? Exactly. It's like Glenn Close perfects a fucking woman that no one yes. knows. Yes. Like, well done, Glenn. Like, you, yes. sp you spent all your time perfecting the down to the T, the physical, vocal attributes of a woman yes. that no one knows. Yeah. When what you could have been doing is somehow influencing the the drama to be able to say like maybe we should be playing this like if I if i mean honestly if ron howard or whoever and i guess it was his production right because it was an imagined production oh, yeah completely so i would imagine that if he really really wanted going close to win he would have made he would have had the screenplay written from Mima's point of view so she's the fucking centerpiece if you're writing this to show like glenn close off as an actor don't yeah, get 15 minutes in a fucking movie 
she's yeah, never going to win Best Actor these days. We, but that would she, be Best Supporting, right? Yeah. And she's kind of, that's at, kind of... At most. At yeah, most. but that's kind of the role they would eat up for, for something like that, yeah. I think. But I, I don't know. I was, I honestly felt that her, her performance in that character, while I agree with what you guys said, that was probably the most redeeming thing for me in the movie. Um, like when she kind of comes and sweeps up the kid and is like, you're coming to live with me now. And she's telling yes. him, you keep yeah. hanging out with these kids, they're bums and this and that. She buys him the calculator and then she doesn't have enough money for food or for her pills. And this is like, you see that sacrifice and the tough love and everything. That for me was the was only- interesting. That, that, that was, was Yeah, that felt like a part of the movie that really went somewhere. And then it right. showed you why. And she said to him something like, um, right at one point, she's like, I'm not always gonna be around to take yes. care of this family. Yes. Basically, she said to the kid, like, look around. Everyone else is a fuck up. I'm the only yeah. one who keeps any of this in order. You're the only one that can do that after I'm gone. And you see, that is one of the only things that like we were talking about earlier with the flashbacks and like there's a little bit of profound moments that never do anything. That's one of the only moments for me in the movie that you saw and were like, oh, okay. That's yeah. why he's worked so hard. That's why he's gone Busting to- Busting his to, ass three jobs. Uh, yeah. Right, right. And that's why he had to come home. But with the exception of like a couple of those moments, I feel like the movie fell short. But all of that is just to say that for me, Glenn Close's performance was, or that character was, was one of the more redeeming parts of the movie, yes. I thought. Yeah. Her and the guy who played, like I said, the guy, the guy that played J.D. Vance, both the kid. He was good. He was good, yeah. And it's a shame to me because it's, you know, having, doing the acting stuff ourselves as we to have this movie with, you know, directed by Ron Howard with Amy Adams and fucking Glenn Close. Mm -hmm. And you kind of, kind of hold your own in this fuck. And it's a shit movie because it's been put together like shit. It's like this, this just sucks dick. Yeah. Yeah, he did a nice I, job. I, I feel like I wasn't a huge fan of either. I mean, the kid seems, I guess he's promising. I don't know, but I, I felt like all the acting that was done by the kid JD was just look, uh, look I just had my mouth open all the time it's just mouth open acting True. Just, yes yeah yeah I would be honest I didn't and then love, the adult I didn't love was the just, kid it was just he was just constantly like you, and then you know the adult what? JD was like you're gonna have your mouth closed I feel like Ron Howard is like when you're a kid you've got your mouth open for all the dramatic shit yes. and when you're an adult you got your mouth fucking closed but <laughs> like, the kid is like and then the adult was just like, you know what it is? You know what it is? We're spoiled by the kids from, from freaking Stranger Things. Like yeah. Daniel Radcliffe said, he said when he saw Stranger Things, he was like, fuck. Because <laughs> he said like, the things we were doing on Harry Potter were absolute garbage. I can't even imagine doing something like that when I was that age, the way these kids are doing it now, you know? Oh, so, or it, even going yeah. back to Henry, what's his name in E.T.? Like that, Yes. You know. Yeah. I gotta say, I really didn't, I, I liked the older JD in the movie. I thought that I wasn't a huge fan of the kid. Um, I like, I kind of agree with what you said, Sean. And I also, I just got to say this. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but there were like two or three scenes where he just like fell and tripped over. And it was like the worst, like fake fall yeah, it was, and it just it was it was when he falls into like he falls into like the coffee table or trips yeah. over the coffee table which was just terrible it was just like this little fat kid falling down yeah and then um and then there's a scene 
when they're in like the the baseball card store and they start dancing as soon yeah. as they started dancing i was like this little kid is gonna yes. it's clumsy it's, fucking kid he's gonna fall and knock shit over and then it happened i'm like yep there it is there this, it is this, it was so stupid the setups the setups are so telegraphed it's just yeah. cool um yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought they did a good enough job. I don't think anybody was stellar. And like I said, Amy Adams, especially the scene where she's like roller skating through a hospital. That was weird. Yeah. It was so forced. Like, the like thing, uh, she was like high. I was like, what the fuck? I that's another thing. That's a perfect example of this movie glossing over things because it shows yes. her real quick get high. It shows her like really like out of nowhere get like weirdly aggressive with this girl and just be like, I'm going to take your roller skates. And then like, She's skating through the thing. And by the time you realize like, oh, okay, she's high and she's skating through the hospital. That's why so she's bad. being so weird. By the time you realize all that, that scene's over. And she's like, they fucking fired me. And you're yeah. like, wait, this is how you're going to tell the audience that you lost your job it's, as a nurse? It's it like, was really... was like this, is, this is what high is like. It was like a fucking PSA to yes. show kids whole, not to do the, drugs. The whole yes. movie was an after school yes. special. Yes. Yes. The whole movie yes. felt like I had been forced to watch it by the principal of my school. Yes. And then afterwards he would go, was it powerful? Now that you said it, all I can think of is Ron Howard has never been high in his life. <laughs> ever. Ever. He's been fucking Opie from day one. He's never been high in his life because it's just like, even like when she's like shooting drugs, it's like she would have bit him. Like at the, the end scene <laughs> we stopped her from shooting up, she would have yeah. bit him. She would have kicked him. My God, we I, when I did Elf last year, there was a girl, she was the, uh, I forget the character's name, Olivia, Clavel Davis. Olivia, if you're listening to this, she's a marvelous singer, great actress. She works in a hospital and they had somebody ODing or just like going into like a, a complete junkie rage and they needed help restraining her. And she's an athletic young woman. She figures she'll go in and help. And she got popped in the eye. During, while we're like in this play, dude, her eye was like demon black. Like not only was the shiner complete, like the, the fist must have fit right in the socket. Her eye was like, deep blood cherry red like the white of her eye for like a good week like she literally performed with this eye like she put on as much makeup as she could around it but she had this like demon eye for like a week or two of shows like that's what junkies do like okay yeah he was in the marines but it's like no there's a reason why it takes like three orderlies to hold down a kid you know that's high and it, it, it skirts around shit. Like you have the boyfriend made a flippant comment that we assumed was bullshit saying like, oh, she sucks whatever fucking dick in the... Like, no. Like, come on. Even Steven Spielberg would have had a tasteful dick sucking montage. Literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> to be like round the back of CVS. Yes. And like, yes, mom! Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They would have showed her at least like, like you said, there would have been like a bunch of cut twos and yeah. her in the back of a fucking Wendy's or in the back of a Piggly Wiggly or whatever yeah. he's doing, like, you know. Right, exactly. I mean, something to show the grittiness of it's like, this woman's fucked up. And it's, like you said, Sean, earlier, yeah. that would have been the perfect setup. It's like, I'm having fun with my kids. I sold my, I don't know, DVD collection to make sure they can have some soft serve yeah. ice cream. And the sister was a fucking prop. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love you, I love you, and, and, like, they even, like, they barely mentioned it when he went into the ditch with all the boys after they went to some fucking factory to bust shit up. Uh, um, 
the sister's talking to uh, Mama, and she's saying he could have been killed. I don't know why I never offered to take him away from mom. I should have. I should have known better, blah, blah. You know, she's kind of guilty herself for leaving her younger brother behind. And they don't, t it's like, that's the, that, let's find more out. Let's find out about her guilt. He was good. I thought she did a good job. I like the actress. I've seen her in a lot. Yeah. I thought she did a good job. Um, I th thinking about it, like when you say there with the, the, um, the being high stuff, I think, it's a little irresponsible, actually, of this movie. The, yes. At the yes. time that we have, we're in the middle of a huge opioid yes. crisis in this country. And this is a very recent history. Um, the, this is one, we, it seems mad when you think about it. This is one of the first movies I've seen that tackles the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. Right. It seems mad why people haven't done more of it. But... Tackles is a really strong. Well, my point is exactly that is the fact that the the most like actual truth element to it, and the most like shocking would be if this was set in a middle class suburban New York Philadelphia neighborhood, and the mother was trying to suck dick to get fucking heroin. Yes, and they were living in a million dollar house. Right. Like, right. That is more hard hitting because it's more real. It it almost cheapens the opioid epidemic by setting it in hillbilly country because yeah. we're it's like we're going oh those fucking hillbillies they're doomed. Like it, it's like no, this is not a economic thing. This is not a cultural thing. This is a fucking criminal enterprise that's yeah. masquerading as a business in mm -hmm. the opioid and we're right in the heart of that right now it's it's yeah. it's like you said it's like i was saying before and i agree with you 100 percent. it's they don't want to tackle the poverty oh right. well we're not going to show a movie where we're showing like nobody has any fucking jobs because subliminally they're trying to tell you shit is hard because the factory's been shut down since he was a kid uh uh you know and they go by all the closed stores in downtown middletown ohio and there's just like people hanging out on the corners and all of that. How about when he drives by, there's a freaking shooting or something, you know, not to glorify it, but it's like, or, or when they go into the clinic, everybody's behaving really nicely. I'm like, no, that's, this is not, you know, it's like, like I said, there were a lot of, for me, there were a lot of triggering instances of like, you know, family dysfunction and all of that yeah. stuff. But like you said, like they cheapened the approach to this opioid crisis. Yeah. And it's like, show it. It's literally destroying generations of people. Show it that way. And it's, it's very, it's very um, telling to me. And, and Annie actually pointed it out. And I never thought of it that way, but I think she might be right on. Because when we watched the little IMDB thing about uh, Ron Howard and everything, and she said... Like I said, I thought it was like right on. She said, Ron Howard strikes me as the guy that will toe the line for the corporation. He's the corporate guy. He'll make sure everybody's happy. He won't do anything to upset the apple cart. He will make sure like if somebody, if somebody is, is, you know, Bob Iger and Disney wants something to do that way, that's the way he'll do it. And he's you a big to it. I came okay. back over. I heard you guys. I'm making myself another drink, and I heard you. I had to come and throw this comment in and when you said he's the corporate guy and blah, blah. That's why they got him to make yes. Solo. When yes. they didn't like, they didn't like what um, uh, uh, 
I can't think of the names now. They're escaping me. Um, the two guys. Uh, the Lego Movie guys. Yeah. What are their names? Why can't I think of that? Um, I forget. But didn't they make Into the Universe? They produced it, and they're amazing. But they didn't like Disney. Didn't like what they were doing because they were right. too edgy or too not whatever. And so, who's the perfect person after they fire him to just come give them their yeah. cookie cutter movie that they want? That's going to be out. like. Just I wish I could the see them. Version. Else. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Lord they Miller. were trying to make it. Bill Lord, Lord Miller. And Chris Miller. They were, apparently it was a comedy. Like apparently, like someone sat down from LucasArts and was like, "They're making like a slapstick comedy. Like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, it was With, like a all of it. And 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 I've texted you guys separately about the whole solo movie. I watched. I've been. It's the pandemic, so like I'm on Disney Plus going through like the Star Wars movies, and I started from the beginning. I started from the Phantom Menace and just like watching go like. God, can 2020 get any worse? It can, because I got two and three to still watch, you know? And then seven, eight, nine to watch. I really just like one shit movie after another. But I was Battle for Endor. <laughs> right. But then, like, I watched Solo. And on second watching, I didn't think it was that bad. And I thought, uh, what's his name, the actor, Aiden? Aiden Elmerich, yeah. Right. I thought he did a really nice job putting forth that Harrison Fordness that was in Han Solo. I really thought he did a really good job. And I actually thought the script was good. I thought Woody Harrelson was good. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Donald Glover was good. Um, uh, uh, what's her name from Game of Thrones? She was, I, I thought, and, and uh, Paul Bettany was, I thought he was really good too. And I actually, on the second viewing, I found I appreciated the movie more. Um, I didn't think it was the perfect movie, but when I watched it a second time, I was like, okay, it's not as bad of a shit fire yeah. as I thought it was. It suffered. I it is, was. It suffered. If, if they could have... I think that we would be living in a different, like, Star Wars world if somehow they released that before they released Rogue One. Yeah. Like, because Rogue One set that bar so high that was the best movie yes. that's the best star wars movie with the exception of mandalorian which is not a movie yes rogue one is the best star wars ip that has been released since the 70s empire. like since yeah. empire yeah it it, it, it was so I, cool. I i i put rogue one i i i probably put rogue one ahead of return of the jedi damn yeah. that's bold it was, I, gotta no, see, I, I, I gotta see it again. I only saw it once. Rogue One is so good. I really, yes. I've been wanting to rewatch so it. I have to rewatch it. And I mean, again, like Disney bought this out. Oh, oh, and my buddy was telling me um, they got rid of Kathleen Kennedy. Lucas really? is bored. Yeah. Apparently now, like Star Wars, they all want, they only want Favreau, Filoni, and Lucas touching anything Star Wars. I was gonna, I literally watching the last most recent episode of The Mandalorian, which I don't know if you guys caught up on. Which one, um, the one that came out last night? Uh, no, sorry, not the one that just came out. I think there's one that came out today. So I guess last week's one. With um, Rosario Dawson? Yes, that one. Okay. I remember watching that and being like, give, I, I literally thought to myself, I was like thinking about just saying this to whoever I could. So I'm saying it to you guys now. If, if John Favreau and Dave Filoni were either producing, writing, and or directing, even if they were just producing, nothing else, the, the sequel trilogy that Disney made, I think we would have gotten an amazing trilogy yes. as opposed to what 
I think is just trash when you really yeah. look at it. As you, a, know, you know what's so funny? Uh, uh, um, I, and I didn't realize at the time because he had such a huge name about himself because of um, um, Lost and and was it Alias? Was he? Yeah, it's two? I think so. J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Jar Jar Abrams, yeah. Um, Star Wars was his... Did he do Star Trek first or Star, Star Trek first? Star Trek, right? yeah. Star Trek, and then they gave him Star Wars. Star Trek was his first big movie. Well, he did Mission Impossible 3. Yes. I'm yeah. oh, sorry. Yes, correct. That was and super, first. And he did uh, Super 8. Super 8, yes. But, I mean, he did a really good job with Star Trek. Star Trek was, like, for Star Trek fans, and I'm, I'm a big Star yeah. Trek fan, I thought they did a fantastic job. The casting was brilliant. Yeah, I really liked that brilliant. one. Uh, I thought Pine was excellent. You know, Carl Urban was excellent. Uh, 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 everybody was great. Uh, uh, Kinto, everybody was fantastic in it. Um, and the sequel was not good. No, no, no. The sequel was Khan, which was great. I thought it was great. Into Darkness? Into Darkness. Yeah, I thought it was good. I didn't think Into Darkness was very good. I liked really? that. I liked, I liked Into, Into Darkness. Darkness. The oh. third one was with, with Idris Elba, I thought was bad. I didn't see that one. Yeah, I liked it Into was, Darkness. I liked, I liked the Darkness. Batch and I liked, who they, they what's his name? Uh, Robocop was in it as well. <laughs> yes, he was great. Peter Weller. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. He was great as a bad guy. And Leonard Nimoy popped up. Again, I think he was in. Was that just the first one? No, first I think he was in both of them. They did some. Yes, yes, he, time, yes, he was because thing. that was his last movie, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Supposedly, they're giving the, the the keys of the kingdom to Favreau, Lucas, and and Filoni. It makes sense. I, it's, Wait, they're going to bring Lucas back? That's that's what my buddy was telling me. I'm not sure how, if it's 100, but he's a huge Star Wars. So he'll be more into it than I am. I think from a filter, it works. I think if you have Favreau manning the helm and then Lucas is allowed, which is what should have been the whole time, which right. is what Empire right. was and Return the Jedi was. Right. Which we have right. a, someone who really knows what they're doing at the helm, directing right. it. And then you've got the guy here saying, oh, by the way, I think this is a really good idea. Like, yeah, he get, let him have the ideas. Let him come into the meetings and say, I think this, I think that, this is my vision for that, this is my vision for that. And then you have the guy who is, John Favreau has enough not to prove. He's one of the only people in that world that will be able to turn, because JJ, if he was in that room, would have to go, yes, Mr. Lucas, I'll do exactly that, Mr. Lucas. Right. But Favreau knows, in that swinger style, knows how to be like, yeah, 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 of course, we'll do that. We're not fucking doing that. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that, I mean, his, at, at this point, his pedigree is, look what he did for Marvel. Yeah. He insisted that they cast RDJ. Junior. He insisted. And they were like, nah, this guy's he just got out of jail, fuck that. And they, he was like, no, he needs to be Iron Man. And what a fucking decision. Wow. Right. Yeah. And that movie um, still holds up. I, the original no, Iron Man is so the great. The original Iron Man is still, I, I'll say top three of the Marvel movies. Yeah, it's arguably. Cool. It, it, also, yeah. oh, go ahead, Sean. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, Danny Jr. is great. He's one of the only people I can think of that is arguably himself in everything he does, but it works every single time. Right. Like, you have your De Niro's and your Pacino's that have the same stereotype of just doing right. the same thing, yeah. and it's got to a point where it doesn't work. 
Right. But it always works with, whether it's like Sherlock Holmes or Iron Man, it's the same fucking character, but it always yes. works. Yes. He, he's able to tweak it enough that, that it works. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I was expecting, I, I was sort of expecting to be like, like you said, Andrew, that it was going to be bad, that we're going to just laugh. And it wasn't like some moments, some moments were actually genuinely funny. And I laughed out loud. When she made the Polish joke, I laughed out loud. Yeah. Like that whole thing. Um, like I said, Amy Adams was, you know what it looked like to me, the whole movie, the whole movie looked like to me, like this was maybe a senior project or a grad school project where the kids again, might have smoked weed once or twice and they don't really know anything and they did no research on what uh, uh, um, real opioid addiction is or what real poverty is. Yeah. Like I said, the flashbacks, like I said, they had that one scene with the sister and, and, and I agree with you, Sean, I thought she did a great job, but they didn't delve into her. She was a prop. There was her, a, and, her, her and the girlfriend. Yeah, right. Exactly. It was. She was a prop too. Maybe. I mean, it, it, whoever adapted the book to a screenplay <laughs> just either didn't know what was interesting. It was like screenplay one hundred and one. It was. It really was. It was really like if you were in a <laughs> if you were in a undergrad screenwriting course and you were given that book and told to adapt it you would have gotten an A plus because that was for that. Yeah, a, it was, you did a really it, good job. But as far as like a fucking Hollywood movie with all these great people in it and everything else, like it just needed a little bit more. It was, it was trite. It's yeah. so, it was so weird. Already you saying that <clears throat> I'm thinking like, there's so many ways you could have adapted that movie to make it more interesting. Yeah. But off the bat, you could have just decided to say, we're going to do this we're gonna have a through line of the narrative and we're gonna take three distinctive uh like um through the eyes of and we'll have it this this scene or this story through the eyes of jd this scene through the eyes of the mother this scene through the eyes of mama and already that would have been a better movie yes and you'd have just had all the scenes through the eyes of amy adams would have been joyous and fun and having an amazing time and then like, you know, from the kid as being like confused and then from mom, like there's so many perspectives you could have had. Yeah. Like it, I don't, it was always, and I think this is the big point is whenever you're doing any sort of art, whether it's poetry, acting, writing, uh, comedy even, I think the most important thing is you cannot sit in judgment mm -hmm. of the subjects that you're portraying. Right. You yeah, have and to don't be afraid it. of them. No, you present it was as it is. Some yes. of those things. And exactly. let, the audience, right let the audience make decisions. Yes. And yeah. judging at every point. It was yeah, like, every, this yeah, is the scene and we think this is bad. Or yeah. we right. think this is good. And it's like, why are you telling us how we it's, should feel? It's right, yeah. exactly. It was, it was kind of like, my mom's a junkie, but I'm not going to really show you any of the bad stuff. Right. Like, like, why didn't they show her, you know, like taking it from behind... While dude, like, <laughs> sticking her with a hero, but but I mean, she, like, yeah, no. But also, know people that have walked in like, yeah. parents are like ODing and shit. It's scary. And kids, it's like, 
the other thing is kids don't understand is uh, the other thing i don't get is what would have been more effective as well is if you had this guy who all his childhood memories of his mother were of her being really fun and wacky and off the wall and eccentric but brilliant and but as he became an adult he realized she was broken and flawed and a mess because mm-hmm. kids don't see things like adults do right. mm-hmm. watching this kid see things like through the eyes of an adult i and as like you know from personal but it's you know it doesn't matter that much but like i my dad um is an alcoholic he's recovered he hasn't drunk in like 25 years but i grew up with my dad being an alcoholic and the craziest situations and stories but my memories and my childhood are not like a lifetime movie. Mm-hmm. They're like, because when you're a kid, you right. don't see the drama or right. the sad stuff. You, everything is just kind of funny. Right. Or yeah. like, like it's all just memories of like, Oh, that time my dad got really drunk and like fell over and collapsed and was just unconscious. I was like, how crazy. Well, how ridiculous. How stupid. Right. Right, like, look right. at him. He's a fool because kids see everything through the lens of a child. Right. But this kid was seeing everything through the lens of a 30 year old white Republican. Like from <laughs> Jay Dot. I don't right. understand. I'm like, the kid was seeing it through the lens of what they wanted the audience to see. Well, exactly. I mean, that's what it was. Yeah. You know, well, like, I, yeah. Well, I don't think necessarily. I think what they were trying to portray was that he was a really, really bright kid, because he always wanted to watch CNN. He wanted to see Al Gore's speech. He was always interested in all this stuff. Yeah, I mean that's what they were trying to push forward. But again, it, it's they, they didn't they didn't go yeah. to it. Like maybe his social studies or civics professor would have been like, "This kid's gonna be somewhere because he's always trying to get on the debate team or whatever the fuck he you know he was interested in." But they didn't touch it. You know, like like all of it. Um, Mom being high on drugs, you never see it. You see her like marrying one guy, then the other. You like you saw the dog for two seconds, then the dog became like a subject of soreness for the kid. But what happened? The, to the dog, dog was only there so you could see the stupid kid fall down twice. It, it's just, right. So I mean, it's it's this is if it, if Ron Howard wasn't attached to this, and we've talked about this before when we watched some of these bad movies when we used to do like the twenty minute in the middle. This is literally a producer with eighteen million dollars, with a burning a hole in his pocket after he just did an eight ball, going to a bunch of freaking stoners and say, "Hey, you guys want to make a movie? I got a few million I can throw your way." Oh. This is what it reminds yeah. me. Could you imagine if this if this movie was given to like a young, unknown indie director that was just like that took it and just fucking ran with it because they wanted so badly, right, to make their mark? I think you could have made a brilliant movie out of this. I think, uh, I, and I think the, the brave, I think the brave thing to do, and I think one of the biggest reasons of why it had to be so shit is the fact that the guy himself is alive and it's his memoir and he basically turned out to be a prick. Like, I think the real, like, the interesting thing would have been if he had grown up, gone to Yale and just fucking left and left them behind and just become a rich prick and everybody died and he did nothing to help anyone (laughs) like i'd be like oh that's more interesting yeah like i was saying earlier at the end of the movie 
when he leaves, but then he does the whole recap of like, actually, I'm, I feel like I'm real lucky to have had the family I had. I was like, that kind of diminished the whole thing for me. Like, I thought that was a powerful ending. If you were like, I can't help you, I'm out. And you just left. Like, it's sad. It's not like a happy ending. Right. It was like, but then it turns into this recap. And then you get the thing where it's like, JD married, blah, blah, blah. And his mom's been clean for X amount of Six years. years. And then yeah, it gives yeah, you that yeah. nice tie up. How did she get clean? How did she get clean? Right. She didn't get clean after you left her in a fucking hotel room. You know what I mean? I, I highly doubt it. So like that wasn't a part of the movie. Um, and yeah, was, and the, the, prob- the problem is with that, Andrew, is I think she's probably been clean for a very small amount of time. And she's probably, as I said, probably is not fair. There's a good chance she won't say clean because... It wasn't that long. Do you guys remember what it Six was years. Happening? Yeah. Okay. I, I think that one of the problems with the film is is that woman is still alive and she's not even really that old and jd vance is still alive so they have to end it like a sugar-coated ending but i think in however many years if you look back at it statistics are certainly favorable that she's probably gonna end up dying of an overdose <laughs> like right, just because right. that's the way things are or just or just as far as a story goes this story may likely get this sounds awful because we're talking about real people, but this story may likely get more interesting as time goes on. Cause we, this isn't really the end of their story. No, you know, it's again, like I said, I, I wish I read the book. So we Me could too. dissect, like dissect, like where, where the script just went wrong, like hilariously. So. I want to, can I, can I add one thing? So sure. I heard, um, you guys know this, I've told you many times, I don't know if listeners will rem- recall me ever mentioning this in the podcast, but I always listen to the Empire Film Podcast. Um, okay. That's like one of my go-tos. And when they reviewed this a couple weeks ago, um, one of the, one of the uh, people on the podcast, one of the reviewers said something about, she said how, uh, I guess she had read the book. And she's mentioned, like you said, Tomo, that the book kind of has a lot of his conservative values and things. Right. She said, basically, like, I do not agree with him. She's not a, she's a complete opposite of that. Um, I don't agree with a lot of his views and things like that. But she said, you know, her thing was, I wonder if the film lost because they pretty much pulled that out of the, the, the film version from his book. And that's where some of kind of the nuance and some of the different things that are in that book that he kind of leans into to kind of tell this story by pulling those out, you're kind of left with these empty moments throughout the movie. Now, I don't know, I don't know what that is. I don't know how much political or, or whatever commentary was in that book that is not in the film. I really have no idea, but I do have to wonder is like by them pulling that out of it, did that leave them with just this kind of glossed over thing like we're seeing? Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know what he was trying to say. Like I don't right. know what right. the and that's, point of what, the, what is the overarching thing. And I bet you in the book he had something he wanted to say and it was a conservative leaning opinion. And so they pulled that out for the movie. And then we just get this movie that literally has nothing to say. Right. And, and I mean, to me, that, that's the whole thing. So the conservative opinion has like, a, and this is the thing to me that I've been like screaming from the rafters for years now. It's like, look, the big problem here isn't conservative versus, versus liberal. 
the big problem here is the haves versus the have-nots. Yeah. And the have-nots are constantly being fucking pushed down further and left behind, and nobody gives a shit. And they're using the saying like, oh, well, they're stealing your fucking jobs from you. No, no, no. No one stole the jobs from you. The haves have taken, instead of paying you seven fifty an hour, they shipped that shit to Vietnam and China and India so they could pay for the same work 50 cents an hour and fuck you so they could get that much more money. So they're not, no one's, no one's addressing that part of it. So, you know, when they're talking about like, oh, the political leanings weren't in there, I said, well, what are you going to say? How is a conservative viewpoint help anymore? Because the conservative right. viewpoint is, well, get up off your, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There are no bootstraps to be filled because they just had it in the case that, uh, what was it, Purdue? Uh, what's the company with the, with the opioid crisis that was supposed to pay like some, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars in penalty for basically pushing the drugs on everybody. Yep. Pushing oxy on everybody. It, yeah. It, this, it's, yeah. If this movie was not based on a real story, I feel like the, if it, you know, if, it, if a creator was taking it, it would be, the story would be, he went to Yale realized that everyone there is a bunch of pricks which is what we did realize in that whole scene with the table they're like yeah. oh, and they never leaned into it which the, I, I was like it's getting interesting now yeah they're, no, they just backed off they're like oh there's one guy who's sort of uh sort of less saucy of a, prick. a little bit yeah. spicy yeah and they're like they're he pricks. was a prick too though he, and then well, he, he was a prick too. to hire him at the end yeah it, it the, the, they should have the whole point should have been that and then he made the decision to set up a non-for-profit law company in kentucky where he was going to help people who had been screwed over by the opioid companies right right and like that would be and you know what if it was a story about a black kid making his work from nothing becoming a lawyer it would have been about him going back home and helping out all his people and like working for the benefit, but because well, we don't even white know. kids, he went and became a Republican fucking douchebag and left his family. <laughs> like, we don't even know, too. We don't even know what I don't know. Do you? I don't know if you guys do, but from the movie, I don't have a clue what he did. I know he graduated. Oh, he from wrote a book. Law school, and he, he wrote a book. It, right. He took did his. He, did he? Does he practice in law? Did he have a career in, oh. in law? Has he done anything with that? Well, I mean, even if he did, what would it say? He. He graduated law school in 2013. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book. The book came out in 2016. How much fucking law was he practicing in the last seven years? Yeah, right. none. He's 36. He wouldn't, even, he, fuck, he wouldn't even fucking make junior partner at this point. Yeah. yeah. He's 36 right Unless now. he was brilliant. And if he was that brilliant, he'd have a fucking law office in D.C. or New York or fucking San Francisco. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's... Yeah, funnily enough, his Wikipedia says, it's almost like he heard what I just said. Uh, The Wikipedia says, in December 2016, Vance indicated that he planned to move to Ohio and start a non-profit and potentially work on combating drug addiction in the Rust Belt. Uh, In January 2017, he became a CNN contributor and then Ron Howard signed on to direct a film version of Hillbilly Elegy. And he's, and he's been now, busy with that. And he's now going into politics. In early 2018, he was reported to have considered a bid for US Senate as a Republican. And it didn't work out, and he hasn't done anything else since. So, oh, 
but it's in the can you imagine only white people get to have a bit of your wikipedia that says he did consider doing this one altruistic thing but then a job offer came and then, then Ron Howard wanted to turn his book into a movie. And then he just didn't. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine if there was a story about like anyone who was not just some fucking white Republican dude who was just like, he did consider, uh, you know, becoming... Donating his money, but then he said, nah. <laughs> and, and then he didn't. And he became <laughs> a, a crack addict. Like, no. No, 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 no. But he really... He really thought about it. He really he, thought about it really He hard. did consider. He did <laughs> consider it. Like, what, <laughs> what the fuck yeah, is that? It's, How is uh, that a fact? Yeah. He considered it. Uh, if I you, guys ever see, oh. you guys ever see that old, uh, I don't know what it was. It was probably like a fucking jewelry commercial or something where it was like, um, where it was like, if it really was only the thought that counted and it was like the wife comes in and she's like, honey, did you buy me a Christmas gift? And he's like, no, honey but I thought about it. I really thought about it. And she's like, aw. <laughs> and then it's like, if it really was just the thought that yeah, counts, yeah, yeah, but it doesn't. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. buy her a diamond at Zales or whatever, whatever the so, commercial yeah, was. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right. Yep. All right. Well, so I think we're all agreed that, that this movie was just bad through, well, not awful, but just very disappointing, especially considering the caliber of talent involved. Netflix needs to up their game. Like when yes. you consider that I we was just reading yesterday that HBO Max has now signed on that Warner Brothers are every, gonna release every, every single release. Warner Brothers movie of next year for free on HBO oh, Max. And get this, Netflix is raising the price again. Yeah. Then like I got an email today, like we're raising it by I did too, yeah. Just to show you good content. And I was like, I just saw Hillbilly Elegy, fuck off. <laughs> like, don't you pay me back a dollar a month bitch it's like come on now yeah the Warner Brothers thing is weird that's a little it is what it is right now and I, I understand them doing it because we've gotten to a point where they can't they can't sit on these movies any longer but for someone who loves movies yeah. and loves going to the cinema it's, it's a little saddening for me I mean the cool it's... thing is they're gonna they're gonna release on both and I read something too that these movies are not gonna live on HBO Max forever they're actually only going to be on there for like a month or two. Um, so it is I kind think, of like around the release time and this or that. And if you're in a place that has cinemas opened, which as last I, I checked, they still are in Jersey. I think, uh, I think what's happened there is w, uh, Warner Brothers is trying to uh, uh, fight the Disney Plus service. Yeah. Um, because nobody expected Disney Plus to quite take off the way Disney Plus took off. Yeah. But I think when Disney was talking about getting the streaming service, they were like, wait a minute, let's buy Marvel. Let's buy Star Wars, because then we'll have shit tons of content. And it's going to want to come and, and see it. We already have Pixar, which is hugely popular. And I think Warner Brothers wa wasn't expecting Disney Plus to be as huge a success as it is right now. Yeah, yeah. Right now, they're just trying to make a little uh, a steam and like, oh, HBO Max is going to have everything when we put out in the theaters. Disney yeah. Plus is Disney they Plus is spend... the gift that. Sorry, I was just a, Disney Plus is the gift that keeps on giving. Like I didn't, I took it for granted when it first announced it. I was not. Yeah, no, no same here, same and here. And apparently, Simply. they're going to start releasing like the Dimension films, the like 
offshoots of Disney's, like as we go forward, that is, you know, you're going to get, when you think about everything that's been under the Disney umbrella, like it's almost, you could just only have Disney plus and be happy. Like, not to mention now that Disney bought Fox. Yeah. Well, Once I don't know what they're going to do. So technically I think, I think Fox owned Hulu. And so Disney now owns Hulu and they're kind yeah, of Yeah, oh putting, no, Disney definitely owns Hulu now. Yeah, yeah. So they're letting they're leaving that as more of the like adult content Fox type of things going to Hulu and then the more Disney family friendly stuff going to Disney Plus. But who knows at what point when they might just merge all of that together. Yeah. 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 Wow. All right. So let's let's uh, grade our drinks for the good people and then we'll conclude with what the hell's going on here with Hillbilly Elegy. So, uh, Sean, why don't you start us off with your uh, Jim? Because I see you like pouring and pouring and pouring. Yeah, yeah. no, I've, been... I, I'm, I'm. I'm he's drank more of that than he did the Elijah Craig already. <laughs> That's true. That's true. By uh, far, it's surprisingly enough, it gets better with every pour. I don't know what that that was like. Is it I still? So uh... too, I thought so too until like the next day. <laughs> and it took me until four p.m. until I thought it was so bad. <laughs> Uh, does it still seem like it needs a mixer sean um well at this point no at this point it's just fine <laughs> uh but it, it, it i mean it's good because there's no there's no kick like there's no you know there's no like ah you're part right. of it. it's all just it's smooth the whole way so it's like um it's good in that regard for drinking, you know, it's, is, it's, it, is it almost like a like a candy liqueur where they take like a little chocolate bottle and stick like a little booze in it uh, it, you know what I'm saying? There's no real kick there. It's just sweet and, and it's, sweet. Yeah, it is a little bit like that. It, it, okay. I mean, well, to be fair, I mean, it's 32, 32 and a half. Like, so it's not like your regular liqueur, you know, would be like 20%. It, right. it, it is higher. In fact, I don't, I can't remember the last time I had anything that was in the 30s. Like it's usually, you know, in the 40 plus or right. 20-ish. So it's a weird outcome. It's deceiving. Because right. it, it has the drinkiness of something that should be like a Bailey's. Right. But the strongness of something that is, you know, going right. kick, to kick your ass. Right. So um, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I like it. It's um, very drinkable. Uh, I, you could, it's probably brilliant in cocktails. You can mix it with, you know, Coke or just whatever. Um I like the idea because I was I was I wasn't sure about this and there's they had a version that was apple and they had okay. a version that was like honey like the okay. Jack Daniels thing and I went with this because it was the only thing that seemed original like I've seen the apple thing I've seen the 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 cinnamon thing right 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 I was like oh, that sounds interesting and um, yeah it's pretty good the first couple of you know drinks were a little like odd tasting but. Um, it's right now it's good i give it a 3.6 out of five okay 3.6 not bad not bad andrew how's your kentucky mule doing it's pretty good um you know what i made this i made the second one while we were all sitting here and i think the second one's a little bit better i learned from making the first one um you know what i did on the second one i put i put just a little touch of agave in it which I use agave in place yeah. of um, sure, sugar. I use that in place of like a simple syrup. Sure. Um, I have it originally for making margaritas, but you can use it in place of a simple syrup in pretty much any cocktail. Um, yeah. And it does more or less the same thing. So put just a touch of that in, 
And I think that really helped because the first one was just a touch too bitter. And I love like things bitter, but with the lime and it's only a little bit of lime juice you really use in it, it still was just too limey. So, so going based off of that, I really like it. And I think it's not bad. The, the kombucha, I think was a good, a good mixer because it's kind of got that spice, real gingery. Sure, um, sure, sure. Nice and strong. Like I like, um, the wild Turkey one Oh one, you guys know is, is one of my go-tos. So much sure. love and respect to that and no, uh, nothing wrong with that. So yeah, it was really good. I think give me another, another one or two and I might be able to perfect this further. Maybe get like a nice garnish or something on here. Ooh, very um, good. but no, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Um, you know, I, I can't say this is a blanket statement for Kentucky mules, but this is just for the whatever Kentucky mule I made tonight. I'd probably sure. give it, I give it a, I'd probably give it like a 3.7. Okay, fair enough. 3.7 on the Kentucky mule. Um, so, Brewdog Lost Lager. It's, it drank really easy. Um, 4.7, nothing crazy, nothing, you know, uh, not, not too weak, whatever it has in 16 ounces. So there's a little bit there. Um, very dry. You get some hops at the end of it when you have it. If, if Budweiser or Miller Lite was tasted like this, I believe they'd have, you know, even more customers because, you don't, you're not left with this just, like I said, I, all those macro brews where they put in rice instead of barley, eventually after like four of them, I get this, like it turns to ash in my mouth. So it's like mm -hmm. a pretty ashy flavor. <laughs> I, I just can't do it. But um, going back to our yardstick with the beers, if, if I was at a barbecue and this was the only beer they had, yeah, I'd be okay with it. Um, I wouldn't write home about it, but um, it's crisp. It was dry. It was a good level of carbonation. I'd give it a 3-3. Three, three. Brew dog. 3-3. Three, three. So that's where I'm at. All right. So uh, I'll start us off with what the hell is going on here with Hillbilly Elegy. And I'll go back to what I said before. I think Ron Howard... Someone gave him a CBD gummy bear, and he thought he was high. <laughs> and he decided to translate that experience into this movie. And this is probably about as interesting as a gummy bear. Um, that's, that's what I think happened here. Ron Howard thought he was high if someone gave him a cannabinoid gummy bear, and he felt great the next morning, so he felt he was going to show all these great human emotions that touch you, but he never really touched upon them properly and showed us anything about the human emotions. Like I got no, I had no impression that there was a lot of love between him and his mom. I got an impression that there was love for his grandma. Um, I, I kind of got the impression that his sister and he liked each other. And that's about it. And mom, she was just like an asshole. That's all I got out of it. And I, I, honestly, if we were grading Hillbilly Elegy uh, out of five, I'd give Hillbilly Elegy like a 2-2. Two, two. I mean, if three is average, it's a two, two. It's a below average movie. 
I mean, it would have been a below average movie if there everybody was no name. Yeah. If it was, you know, Dinkus Dinkovich was the director and, you know, it was a bunch of kids straight out of NYU that did the... But with Amy Adams and Glenn Close and, and Ron Howard, this is so underwhelming to me. Uh, it would have been it's better... Two-two. Yeah. That's what I think is going on. Ron, someone gave Ron Howard a, a, a CBD gummy bear. That's what I think is going on. Andrew, what do you think? What's going on here? I lost you guys for a second. Sorry. Oh, I was, was saying, Andrew. Yeah, I was saying. What, what do you think is going on here? Um, I think pretty much what we've all said. What I've said. I think you have an interesting story. Um, you know, I don't, like we said, we don't know the book, um, but I think it is an interesting story, whether it's, whether his story is that interesting or not. I think there is a story here about these folks that live in America and, and you know, uh, drug addiction and, and poverty. That is an interesting story. Um, I think of a script that, like we said, is a, a little, a little generic film, filmmaking 101 level script. Um, it's fine. Um, I did, I, I gotta say, I really did still like Glenn Close's performance. Um, and I like that character. I, I, I agree with the mimicry and everything else we've said, but I, 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 that was the highlight of the film for me. And then ultimately, and I know I've said this already, but it just came down to Ron Howard and the direction. And I think had this movie been handed to someone else, had to a director that was a little bit more um, edgy, for lack of a better word, or... Uh, just a, a little bit more courageous or a little bit more distinct or wanted to give it their own sort of uh, unique style as opposed to kind of the, the clean, glossy, cookie-cutter movies that, that Ron Howard has done, and no disrespect because he's done some of those very well, I think he could have had a much different movie and a movie that gave you something better out of these materials. So what's going on here is, uh, in my opinion, the wrong person wrote this script, the wrong person adapted this book, and the wrong person directed this movie. Yeah. Good move. Sean? Uh, I, yeah, this movie, I felt like it was the, oh, it's, it's weird. It's, it almost felt like, it's, it, it, it's like a movie that is so close to being interesting, but they removed all the good parts of it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, it's like someone went, we want to make, it's like someone read the script of Home Alone and said, I love it. I love this. I love this script, but can we make it so that the kid is actually not alone? <laughs> or they made Ghostbusters and they were like, I want to make this. I think this film is so good. But I don't like the ghosts. Right. Like <laughs> let's make it science busters. Like, it's so <laughs> close. It's like something isn't right. The right. whole film is like that that Ron Howard just sat down with a bunch of executives and was like, I want to make this big harrowing film. I want to make this Spielberg-esque epic uh tale. And he was like, I wanna make like I want it to have that impact of like a Schindler's List. And then the 
executive went, yes, Schindler's List, but without those pesky Jews. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he went, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, it, you know it, what? It's uh, the Poseidon adventure without the wave. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's literally a bunch of fucking people on a cruise and nothing's happening. It's, it is literally a movie about one kid doing really, really well. Right. And one woman doing quite bad. And that's it. There's no one else. Right. It's like, it's not like there's no one else in this opioid epidemic. She is the only person in Ohio who's suffering from this. Right. Like every time the police are called up or the hospital is called up, they're like, she is the worst behaved person in Ohio. Like of all the drug addicts we have, this one is the <laughs> worst because well, she's roller skating in the corridors and because she's just a little bit off the wall. I'm like, have you ever met a heroin addict? Like, have you seen what that, like, she should be, like, I don't understand it. Like, Well, first of all, she had way too many teeth. Oh. You know, for, for a heroin addict. And, and like you said, it was just so, it was so trite. All of it was so contrived. It's like, no, 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 no. And, and like I said, when he went to sign her into the uh, uh, um, uh, clinic, Everyone was over there, shampooed and clean, and I was just like, "What? No, where's the fucked up looking people? They, What's going? Because I've, you've, we've all walked down Eighth Avenue by the McDonald's where the methadone clinic is. Oh lord, there's there's some fucking interesting characters there, guy, and it's like, and I can't imagine that any other place where there's tons of people that are hooked on drugs that right. look any better. And it doesn't. You, you've got. It's so irresp- I think it's irresponsible as well that yes. you, like his girlfriend in it is Indian, and who else in that movie apart from his girlfriend is not white? Right. Is there any person in the entire movie apart from his girlfriend that's not white? Uh, there's there's where she was talking with a bunch of other students in the circle. It, it showed to be very like there was like a black dude and then there was a Spanish girl and it was like. It was very ethnically diverse. But that that hey. could have been, to your point, Sean, that could have been a point in the movie that she was the only one that wasn't white and they could have, like, that could have been something and yeah. it just wasn't. And the fact that he would came, like, it was very clear where he came from, right? And the fact that he was dating an Indian girl was kind of, like, not profound. Profound is not the right word, but um, it is surprising. an interesting, it is surprising or an interesting subject. And there's that one quick yeah. moment when he says to his mom, like, he shows her the picture and she's like, what is she? And she's like, she's Indian. The mom's like, oh, she's real pretty. And that could have been a thing. A thing. And it again is one of those moments that was kind of like set up as a nice moment and could have been something else. And it right. just goes uh, fizzled. It's nothing. And it's so, it, it, the, there's so many things the film could have done yep. that it didn't. Like, it, what would, and again, from my mind, like, from it, what would have been brave would, would, would have been the mother, who is a, is a heroin addict, has all these problems, would have been, at a soul, a very accepting person. Uh, and then Mama, who the whole time is supposed to be the one nice person who is, like, helping him out, should have been an insufferable racist. <laughs> Which I think they alluded to with a Polish joke. But, but but like even more, that would have made it like 
it, it like it would have it it would have highlighted the division in our country yeah. so much more if you'd have been like the person I love seemingly is a racist ignorant person and then the person that seems to be the most open and empathetic is a drug a- drug addict and is having a hard time. It didn't have the balls to do that. No, it was like we just have to have good and bad. We can't have both. Yes. Yeah. The, it was literally the equivalent of having a buffet made by like five star Michelin chefs, and you see all this delicious stuff, but all you're allowed to do is like touch it and lick it and be like, oh, this is salty and this is savory and this is fishy and this you know like and that's it you're not allowed to really try anything they're like sir that third dish was not a dish what are you doing get away from me stop touching me like that <laughs> yes that was my wife sir um yeah it's it's so 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 then in conclusion sean what's going on here um I, uh, well i think liter- literally what is going on here is a a guy that is a really bad lawyer has failed at being a lawyer and has managed to sell his shitty fucking stupid story because while everybody else was spending their time studying the law and doing their job, he was writing his stupid little memoir. Uh, He's managed to sell his story and make a conservative estimate, five million dollars sure off of the book and the movie combined and has and has done absolutely nothing to combat the issues that he's trying to highlight and is now a celebrity and is probably going to pop up on cnn and msnbc dancing with the stars yeah dancing with the stars we've got (laughs) we've got the conservative pundit he that's my favorite kind of person the mitt romneys and the john Kasichs of this world the people who are conservatives that are employed by the liberals to be the like token conservatives where they're like this guy's conservative but guess what he doesn't really care about gays that much. <laughs> <laughs> that much. That much. <laughs> it's like, it's like what, what stupid. This is yeah. so stupid. It's, yeah, this is, you're right. I mean, like I said, it's, it's a disappointing movie through and through. And boy, am I thankful we got to see it for Thanksgiving season. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's it from us. And we will see you soon with another episode look forward soon and um yeah cheers folks thanks for tuning in bye bye guys <laughs>